pockets of the beer or a cold libation. I can tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some moody flips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slogan. Let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. The other Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I want to talk about a couple things really quickly today, and then we'll get into some calls. I'll try to keep this a shortish episode. First off, I want to welcome BJ back to Podcasting Sphere. The Arcane Alienist is back. He's doing a catch-up on RPG a Day right now, so there's a link in the show notes. Go check that out. Dark Fluid, who you've heard calls on the show before, has also started a podcast, The Silver Key, and is doing a catch-up on RPG A Day. That is also in the show notes. Check out both those podcasts. Every now and then I'll listen to a podcast that's different that I don't normally listen to. And I recently went and listened to an episode of a podcast called Dungeon Master's Toolkit. And the episode was Polyhedral Dice System Notes. And I'll put it Link in the show notes and go check it out if you want. I don't know anything about the, the person doing the podcast. I don't know anything about the podcast. There's a Patreon apparently associated with it. it looks like there's YouTube associated with it. I haven't researched any of this. I've just l- listened to that episode. But that episode, they're talking about trying to create a new RPG. And it's kind of like if you took Into the Odd and ICRPG and they had a baby together that was a dice pool. So the the creator over there is very interested in the idea of Into the Odd, but just rolling to see how well you did. And then they also like the idea in ICRPG of effort and where, you you know, you apply effort to something, whether that effort is how hard you hit the goblin or how far you get along in picking the lock or picking up, you know, whatever it is. There are different ways to do effort in ICRPG, but that's kind of what the hearts are in ICRPG. They represent effort. And, and how much of that task that you get done each time. You know, and, and ICRPG has different dice. You know, has kind of not really a die chain where you go up and down, but use different die sizes for different things. And this creator is using different die sizes in this die pool that they're doing. And and, and I'm not going to talk too much about what they're, the exact specifics. You can go listen to that podcast to hear the system that they're developing. The idea was to see how well you do at something. And instead of doing two separate rolls, just do one roll. You know, that reminds me of a recent product I picked up. And I want to talk about it here instead of a System Sunday because you can only get it on the used market. And I know I kind of put Ninja, Night of the Ninja on a Sunday podcast, but that was a special deal. And this one is a little more obscure, I think. (laughs) If you look, it's harder to find copies of this than Night of the Ninja. Although... I. I know at least one other person's bought Night of the Ninja, so we may be running the the value up on those. That Those might get more expensive now. But what that discussion over at the Dungeon Master's Toolkit reminded me of was a product called Killer Crosshairs. And this is from Pagan Publishing. 
And this is a product from, let me open it up here. I recently picked up a copy of this from Noble Knight Games. I've wanted Killer Crosshairs for a number of years. 1992 is when it came out. Pagan Publishing, I, I was having a discussion with Carl Rodriguez over the Geomologist Presents, and he mentioned that he was pretty sure Pagan had done a number of things for Call of Cthulhu. And he's right. In the back cover here, it talks about their other products, and, and they're all pretty much Call of Cthulhu related. So in, in fact, they say other Pagan publishing products feature the Unspeakable Oath, the Premier Digest, a Call of Cthulhu horror role-playing game. And then they list some other things they do. It's also worth mentioning here that this game was published by another company called Biohazard Games in 95. From what I can tell, it looks like it's the exact same product. I have the Pagan Publishing version of it. But Killer Crosshairs is a generic system. And I've talked on this podcast before about Aces and Eights. And Aces and Eights uses what they call Shot Clock. So what they have in Aces and Eights or they have silhouettes of targets, be they people or animals or whatever, and, and they have different poses, and they ha there's a transparency that looks like a dartboard. And you put that transparency over the target to exactly where you want to aim. Basically, you're, you're putting this bullseye kind of right over top of what you're aiming at. And then in Aces and Eights, of course, you're doing a combination like dice and, and cards and different things. But depending how well you roll, how well you do, depends how close to the center of what you're aiming at you're going to hit. And this is also done a little bit in Millennium's End, although that uses dice, but you still have the transparency and all that. Well, Killer Crosshairs takes that idea, but it incorporates it in a universal system. So Killer Crosshairs is really neat because it's a really simple way of converting it to any game system, and, and they talk about that in here, and they say that most role-playing games, and remember, this was written in 92, most role-playing games have broken down into two groups, percentile and everything else. Of course, percentile being the, the, the better games. We all know that. But for those not playing percentile games, I'll, I'll continue. Everything else usually means some combination of dice and bonuses that produce numbers ranging from 1 to 20 or so. This includes d20, 3d6, as well as 2d6 and 1d10, where skill level is supposed to be added to the roll. Yes, there are differences in probabilities between d20, 3d6, etc., but the range of numbers they produce is similar. These differences are maintaining killer crosshairs because the original roll made, as usual, with whatever probability that entails. So you don't, all, you, all this does is change the targeting. It doesn't change your to hit roll. You roll to hit the way you normally would. And what it does, it's, it's really interesting. So the, this product comes with a number of silhouettes, and it gives you instructions how to make your own silhouettes, you know, like out of magazine articles and pictures off the Internet, although the Internet wasn't really a thing when this came out. And it comes with a transparency uh, of a bullseye, basically, of a, again, like a dartboard. And it also comes with an extra one that's just on paper that you can make your own transparency out of. And what you do is you roll your to hit the way you normally do it in your system. Now I'm going to talk about the way it works percentile because that's easy for everybody to grok. But they also have rules in here for all these other systems. Um, and basically, with the you start out, so you put this over your target. And then there are a number of rings in here, like say, like a dartboard. 
Well, the zero ring, meaning you get exactly what you need to hit, is not quite halfway out from the center. It's a little bit closer than halfway out to the center. There are eight rings between zero. Well, there's seven rings between zero and the bullseye. The bullseye is eight. And then there are ten rings going out, minus one, minus two, minus three, etc., when you roll less than the to hit roll. Okay? So if you roll just the number you need to hit, you're a little bit closer than halfway in the bullseye. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But basically, the better you roll, the closer you get to the center of the bullseye. The worse you roll, the further away you get, but you still might hit depending where you aim and depending on the size of the target. And that's what's so great. In a percentile game, for every five, five percentiles you succeed by, you move one ring towards the center. And every five percentiles you miss by, you move one ring outward towards the edge of the crosshair. In a D20 or 3D6 game, every point you succeed, you move one ring inward. Every point you move two outward. A 2D6 game or a single D10 game with a skill bonus added, every point you succeed, move two rings inward. Every point you miss by, move two rings outward. For a success dice game system, where a specific number of dice are rolled but not added together, for every one die beyond the initial success, move two rings inward. Um, for attacks no successes, move outward 1d10 rings from, from the crosshair. And then they say that systems with a difficulty number, the game master should consider adjusting difficulty up or down for some shots, since many modifiers are already factored in to killer crosshairs. And then they give some examples. They give a play example here. And, and it, it, it's a really neat system. And then what they do is they have you take the hit points and break them, break them down by body part. And then they have a chart in here for each of the body parts. And they break the body parts down to skull, ears and eyes, jaw or mouth, throat, nape, you know, right there at the neck, um, shoulder or hip. Um, eh, i got to open this back up. Chest or back, abdomen or lower back groin, armpit or leg, arm or leg, and hand or foot. And then they have different, depending how what percentage of the hit points you did, depends on the damage it does. And, and they give you examples ha, how to do that and different things. And, and, and it's a really a pretty simple system to convert hit locations and this aiming idea of putting a crosshair over a specific target to show exactly where you're aiming at. To convert that to any gaming system and i really like killer crosshairs and i wanted to mention that even though you know it can be hard to find sometimes i i really like the product now if you want to see something really similar you can go to kenzerco's website they're the company of course that, that does aces and eights and you, you might have heard of another little game they did called Hackmaster, or a little comic strip they did called knights of the dinner table well if you go to kenzerco's site they have a link in their free downloads to VTTs for their version of the crosshairs, what, what they call the shot clock, and silhouettes for aces and eights. So you can download free silhouettes, western-style silhouettes, and this transparency crosshair for free from Kenzerco. Put it in Roll20 or, or your VTT of choice and play with it. And... You could see how you could easily modify that using an idea like in Killer Crosshairs to the game of your choice. So if you're looking for something different to spice up combat, then 
you know, maybe that's the way to go. And the last thing before I let we go into the calls here, thinking about this and thinking about what they were talking about over in the Dungeon Master's Toolkit about just rolling successes, not just for combat, but they were talking about whether you're picking locks or no matter what you're doing, just rolling effectively in ICRPG terms, rolling effort. You could do that easily. You can modify this killer crosshair system where that baseline is zero, but how well you roll is how well you do in that task. And even if you fail the roll, you can still succeed the task, but it takes longer. If you just make the roll, then it happens in the, like you, you succeed normally, normal amount of time, the better you succeed, the better you do. So effectively, you know, degrees of success and other games have kind of done this, but the idea is you're, you know, really you're not going to fail, but it might take you two or three times as long to do it, or you make, make a lot of noise doing it and, and all that. If you roll, you know, less than your success rate. And the cool thing is with this system, you still use the basic mechanism of your game, be it D percentile, you know, obviously the, the, the best game style, or I hope folks know I'm kind of joking when I say that, um, kind of, but, or whatever game system you're using though, you, you can use that system, whether it's a D20 or whatever, or, or 3D6 or 2D6, what, whatever it is you prefer to use, some crazy dice pool, but it lets you use that basic mechanism for that degree of success very easily. And, and, and it is very interesting to think about game design wise, you know, instead of just that you failed, it's, well, you, you, you pick a lock, but you, you break your lock picks and you take twice as long to make a lot of noise or whatever. Right. But, you know, it keeps the game moving forward, that failing forward idea and, and the killer crosshairs with a little bit of creativity, you could modify that system to go across the board for all your, your skill checks. So I, I was just kind of taken by that, wanted to share that a little bit as I got this new product I wanted to talk about. And it really worked well with this, you know, episode from the Dungeon Master's Toolkit, which is why I wanted to mention that as well. Okay, that's about enough of that. I do want to mention, as this episode goes out, it is August 24th. You have today and tomorrow to get me your entries for Hawk the Slayer. Tomorrow is the deadline for Hawk the Slayer. And this is our monthly movie night, which is the idea of Goblin's Henchmen. And basically, we pick a movie every month. People watch it. They send in their thoughts, reviews, whatever on the movie. And I play everybody's opinions and thoughts and all that about the movie on the last move, the last Monday of the month. We organize this over the Audio Dungeon, but you don't have to join that Discord. You can just participate here on the podcast. All the ways to... Submit those entries or all the ways to send any thoughts to me, including your thoughts on my previous segment, are in the show notes. There's a SpeakPipe account. There's a Google Voice number. There's email address. You can find me on Discord. There's all kinds of ways to reach out to me. I'm still using Spotify to put these out so you can reach out on Spotify for podcasters. Lots of ways to reach out to me. And if you send an email, I can read your email response on the air. If you send an audio response, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. If you don't want your response read or played, just let me know that, and I appreciate the feedback anyway. But, you, so you have, as this drops, you're going to have two days left. You have to get me your thoughts on Hawk the Slayer by the end of the day on the 25th, so I have time to put that episode together and get it out on Monday. I already have some great thoughts on Hawk the Slayer. I'm looking forward to hearing any last-minute entries as well. Next month's movie, by the way, 
will be Lady Hawk. The other movie I'm doing a special episode on next month is Revenge of the Ninja with Shokasugi because it's the 40th anniversary. If you have thoughts on Revenge of the Ninja, you can send those to me, but I need those by the 1st of September. So get, get those in as well. That'll be a separate episode. That won't be the movie night episode. That's a separate episode. I kind of feel like I should be talking about some of the recent games I've played in, but I don't really have a lot of time to do that. This episode's are going to end up being like 45 minutes. Uh, I've been doing a one-on-one adventure for Top Secret with Daniel Norton of Bandit's Keep. He's been running me through it. It's been a ton of fun. And, and we found out Top Secret, first edition. So Top Secret, you have the original edition, the TSR did. Then you had Top Secret SI. And then there, now there's Top Secret New World Order. Well, the original game, we knew there was a first edition and a second edition of that. Well, there's also like a first edition revised. In second printing of first edition, there are some rules that aren't in the first printing of the first edition. We found that out while we were playing. But we've had a blast playing that game. Uh, both of us played back in the day, and, and we're really enjoying diving into it again. And Top Secret does such a great job of emulating the genre you know, if you're within five feet of opponent, the combat sequence is possession combat, then hand-to-hand, and then projectile combat. So you have the chance to get that gun out of their hand or kick the gun out of their hand or, or attack them hand-to-hand before they can shoot you, which really gets into the genre emulation. And the system, which, you know, it's really interesting. The attacker picks a move and then the, doesn't tell the defender what it is, but they tell them what table it's on like martial arts table or judo table or, you know, whatever table. And the defender then picks two defenses, and then you reveal them at the same time and you compare them. And it, it's a really neat system, very well done. Um, unfortunately, you can't buy PDFs to top, the original Top Secret or any well, or Top Secret SI. You can get New World Order PDFs, which is a totally different game. Uh, I think that's a dipool system. But the, the original Top Secret is percentile system as is SI, but if you get a chance to pick up the original Top Secret, I highly, highly recommend it. Great game. Uh, Joe Richter's Wrath of the Righteous game has been going on. That's been a great game. Really enjoying that. We've continued the playtest to Reaver. We're getting ready to jump forward in game time and level our characters up to try some high-level play in Reaver. That's going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to that. I got to run Barbarians Lomoria for some folks, uh, for Spez Baby and Dark Fluid and Daniel and Arlen Walker from Live from Pelham's Wasteland. And we had a great time. They, they kind of threw me because the party was kind of a non-combat party. You know, I, there was a one-armed beggar in there and a thief and a dried-up grizzled fighter and a, a assassin who was a dancer and acrobat. And the only weapon she had was a grot. Well, I think she had a belt to use as kind of a chain whip as well, but still. This mission for them that I figured was kind of a combat-heavy mission, but the fact that I kind of come up with a problem without a solution, and the fact that they played their characters seriously, they approached the game, you know, they had these crazy characters, but they approached them seriously, the game went really well. I I could have done better as a game master, so I I shouldn't say it went really well, because I should have done a better job. 
because they played seriously, they still went and they were able to solve the problem. And I didn't just give it to them. We still made all the roles and did all the things. But, you know, they found a fairly non-combat solution to what normally would have been a combat problem. So, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. We, we didn't get to do any magic. So I didn't get to show off the cool things in the system because some of the coolest things of Barbarians of Moria are the magic and the combat. But I, I think everybody had a good time. We, we've kind of talked about coming back to it and doing an, another session with, with that group. And I kind of hope we do because I thought that was a really interesting session. Uh, Night of the Ninja, I've talked about that. Um, I don't know. There are probably some other games I'm missing here. But, I, yeah, I've been able to play recently. I'm very happy with that. And I, if you're interested in getting into some games... You know, there's a link to the Audio Dungeon Discord in the show notes. You can go there. We can talk about it. You know, there's a games channel on there. You can join games. and Or you can reach out to me and we can figure out a, a time to play. But don't he hesitate to reach out if, if you're trying to find a group. You know, I might not be the right person to play with, but I might be able to hook you up with the right people to play with. So I'll throw that out there. As folks know, I've pretty much stopped doing unboxings on my show. Heck, I didn't even do an unboxing for either copy of Night of the Ninja that I bought. And Joe, why do I need two copies? Oh, and I have a special guest here for this unboxing because there's a special occasion. Joe, thank you for joining me. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent, excellent. And, and why do I have two copies of Night of the Ninja, Joe? Do you remember? <laughs> because uh two is one and one is none exactly that's exactly right now i'm not going to do that same with this i don't think but we'll see so i have in front of me a, a this isn't really a box it's a bag it's a eat it's a bag and they okay. purchase and this bag is like big enough to put a textbook in like like an old style college textbook that, that's what we're looking at or or your high school you know history book something like that that's how big this is nice. and it feels like something like that that is in here so using my Tinkerer model Swiss Army knife, it's the recommended Swiss Army knife variant for the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm opening it from yourself, I saw. Good job. Yes, unlike Carl in his recent episode where he was cutting towards himself. And, and he's a scientist, but he's like doing it in feet. And he's like, figure out the metrics on your own. It, I'm sure... He understood, he knew how to do the metric conversion. He was encouraging us to push ourselves to do the own math. I'm sure he already figured out in his own head. And he was like, well, I need to encourage my audience to be more math-minded. So yep. that's why he did that. Um, this is in bubble wrap, which we like because that's much better for the dog. Well, I mean, you don't want to let your dogs get bubble wrap, but the, the packing peanuts they can get all into, and that's not good for the dogs. So we're happy about that. <laughs> and this is kind of unfair to, to Joey, but I, I will hold it up and, oh, you know what? This isn't what I thought it was. <laughs> oh, well, this isn't gaming related, but this is. Um, I hope it's something awesome. I, well, I think it is. Um, and, and, and yeah, you probably won't be able to see what that is. No, 
know. It's kind of crazy. So this is a, a book of art by an artist you may have heard of, you may not have. Most of our listeners have not heard this, heard of him, Ralph Steadman. Ralph Steadman is a British artist, and he does all kinds of, he does what's called gonzo art. And he had hooked up with, um, I think he used to do regular art, and then he hooked up with Hunter S. Thompson to cover the Kentucky Derby in 1970, and Hunter fed him some acid or something. And after that, he did gonzo art after he expanded his mind. <laughs> That's how that goes. Yeah, but this is a big book of all his crazy art. It's got a Ford by Hunter S. Thompson, who, you know, is not with us anymore. And um, yeah, this isn't what I thought this was. This isn't what was supposed to be here. So I'll have Joe on again, but I'm okay. glad here anyway, because you, you would appreciate this. Like if I can't easily show this to you, but you would appreciate this style of art. I I, I, I imagine I would. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've definitely heard his name before because I have read some Thompson. So I've heard the name definitely. Yeah. The, um, Stedman, he took him with him and they went all over the place and, and did all. He, he was with him when he, when he went to. Uh, um cover the um the the brawl in shit what's it called the foreman oh the rumble in the jungle yeah the rumble in the jungle with the thrill in manila yeah that was it the um thrill in manila yeah thrill in manila and thompson didn't want to see so muhammad ali was from kentucky just like hunter s thompson and thompson didn't want to see ali lose and everybody kind of thought ali was going to lose so Thompson just got drugged up and stayed in the pool so he didn't have to see his hero lose. And of course, <laughs> Ali won that fight. Yes, so we, yes, we never yes. got to get that that article, which would have been awesome to hear if Thompson had seen that, but he didn't. Um, that That's also why you see Johnny Depp portraying Thompson later stuff because they really connected it because they're both from Kentucky and they, and they really connected. So in fact, Depp paid out of pocket for thompson's funeral because they he had they built this huge cannon shot his ashes over the right. mountains out there but oh well that's not what i thought it was but it's still really cool very so, cool thank you joe for joining me i really appreciate it and now you're gonna have to scratch your head and think what the hell was he gonna open and and you'll just have to wait for it to arrive <laughs> i can't wait man i'm so excited okay thank you so much for joining me okay let's open up that mailbag Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason, I totally agree. Wise Guys is a really fun game, and it is a fun scenario, or forget about it, scenario that I played at BS Con is very fun to play in. And Amy got to play at ChupacabraCon a few years back with Eric running the game, so that was a big treat for her, and it looked really fun at the table with all the things that he put. He even had like a scale model of the diner. Uh, so it was very cool uh, what he put together, and it was fun to watch it um, while I was getting killed in my Delta Green game. So anyway, uh, good stuff. I will probably add more to this. Not that much more. I 
think I agree with you. I don't know why I'm agreeing with you a lot lately, but yeah, this favorite thing is hard because I have so many, and I'll get to them in my podcast as well. You know, there's always more than one. So it's hard to pick a favorite. Like, who's my favorite podcaster? I don't know. Of course, that was Carl, the Geomologist Presents podcast, calling about some things I talked about on an RPG a Day episode. Yeah, Wise Guys is a game to play American gangsters, like modern-day gangsters, things like Casino and, and well, Wise Guys. Um, using Savage Worlds, great, great thing. Uh, Eric Lamoureux was the creator of that. I was lucky enough to play with Eric in a number of games, including a playtest of Wise Guys many years ago, back before it was published. Really enjoyed it. I got to play Wise Guys, The Dark of the Dice as well, over the Grognard Files, and really enjoyed that. And I do highly recommend Wise Guys. It is a great product. It has a flashback mechanism in there to let you do leverage-style heist things. It's got mechanisms in there to add heat. So, you know, where your group becomes under further scrutiny from maybe the police or maybe other criminal groups. Just lots of great mechanisms in there. So definitely recommend a product. As far as <laughs> favorite podcasts, favorite podcasters, yeah, I'm going to abstain on that one. That That's dangerous territory there. Hey there, Jason. It's Johnny from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listening to your call-in Bonanza episode. And I was particularly interested in Anthony's call-in where he was talking about the shelves of shame. Now, I've often heard the pile of shame be referred to when I watch like miniature hobbyist videos. But recently I've heard a few where people have started calling them piles of opportunity. So rather than it being, oh, I've got a load of miniatures or whatever that are unpainted or modeling projects that need doing, and that's a shame. It should be looked at more, according to these videos, as I've got lots of opportunities to do cool stuff in the future. And I think that's how I'm trying to look at my shelves of books that I've not played or ran for a while or even at all. Rather than sort of going, like, oh, I've got so many games that I've just not run. I think I'm just sort of looking at it as, oh, but I've got opportunities for lots of different games that I can run in the future. Well, that's how I'm trying to think about it. Anyway, I'm going to get back to listening to the episode, dude. Take care, and I'll catch you soon. Piles of opportunity and shelves of hope. You're going to make hoarders out of us yet. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Most of us completionists are already hoarders. We have overburdening shelves and boxes full of games. <laughs> you're an enabler, John. Folks, if you're not listening to Red Dice Diaries or checking out the YouTube channel or checking out the blog, definitely go. John has recently switched over to Substack, as a lot of people. Substack has taken the world by storm, and who knows what the dark underbelly of Substack is, but at the moment, it's the darling of podcasters, so that's an interesting thing. We'll see how that develops. But definitely, I do recommend Red Dice Diaries, and I, and I hope you go check John's stuff out. It's great. He's been putting out a lot of wonderful content lately. Let's see who we have up next. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Bandits. Keep calling in. Uh, <laughs> I was just... Uh, somehow, I had two of your episodes backed up, so I haven't listened to the call-in episode, but I listened to the uh, RPG A Day uh, Lawnmower Man. I'm in on the Lawnmower Man, uh, so that's myself and Joe, it looks like, so... How many people do we need? How many people are even in that movie? I, I want to say I have not seen the second movie, so if I have to watch it, you know, let me know. 
But uh, anyways, I was I was thinking about as you were talking about like what you'd play in 20 years. And I thought the same thing. A lot of the games I play are also quite old. But I was, you know, Boot Hill was what I had in the back of my mind, too, because it feels like Westerns are the kind of thing that just kind of sits in the background. Right. They Right now, anyways, at least since I've been, I don't know, not a. Kid, actually, even beyond when I was a kid, I guess they they weren't really the main thing, right? Like I was watching a lot of reruns when I was kids because my mom liked them. They were probably very popular then when she was younger or in her twenties or whatever. But uh, you know, every once in a while, there's like a resurgence, right? It's like people are still making westerns and good ones, and it's almost like they're like the new kind of underground indie, right? It's like you don't hear much about it, but all of a sudden, a really cool western comes out, and you're like. How did I miss this? So it's it's one of those genres that just kind of sticks around. And I think Boot Hill's like that. Like, I don't know if I'd want to play it as my only game, but it's a game that I like to pick up once in a while and play because it's just so fun. And it's so easy to come, kind of come up with ideas for it because everybody kind of, you know, I say everybody, but most people have a general idea of what a Western trope is like. It's very specific, and even if you look at like time frames, right? Like for instance, if we look at fantasy, you know, I'm playing and I'm, you know, a child of the eighties really. Right. And then if I'm playing with somebody who's a child of the two thousands, which I do, their fantasy is much different than my fantasy. And what we think of as fantasy is much different, you know, but not so with Westerns. I mean, yes, sometimes you get gritty, but you've got the man without a name, right? And that's from like, like the sixties, right? Is that what they called it with the Clint Eastwood? And then you've got your hateful eight, right? So you've got that dark Western. You also have like the more happy-go-lucky Western, and that stuff has existed in all time, so I think the trope really carries. So the other thing uh, that I wanted to say was, yeah, I think, too, right, I'm with you, I don't, I also think system matters, especially with genre games, and I think ICRPG is a good choice, right, if you're going to pick one, because it is super versatile. I think the simpler the game is, the more versatile it can be. You know, I, I it wouldn't be my only game, but if I had to fall back just to play a game in a genre that wasn't made for it, I would probably play Hateful Place, and, like, that's probably one of the most simple games out there. So, you know, I think that the simpler the game is, the easier it's going to be to manipulate into different genres. So, anyway, that's what I think. Uh, awesome episode. I'm about to listen to the call-in show, so I will talk to you soon. Daniel Norton of the Bandits Keep Media Empire there. Yeah, I think you nailed it with Westerns. You know, it's just an enduring thing. And even look at our other games out there. D&D is really, at least a lot of the versions of D&D out there and a lot of the adventures, it's just a Western with fantasy tropes put on top of it. Um, there, And when we look at TV shows and stuff, look at Firefly's Western, right? There, there are so many things out there that really are just rebranded Westerns. And the good thing about that is you can go watch any old Western TV show, Western movie, read a Western short story, and easily convert that plot over to other genres. But Boot Hill's definitely one of those games that I, I'll still be playing in 20 years, provided I'm still around. As far as Lawnmower Man goes, you should definitely watch the second movie. Um, is it good? No. It, is it so bad it's good? Maybe. <laughs> it takes this dark world and it inserts a group of kids into it, which, you know, is always a mixed bag. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's worth seeing, even though... So the game is set between the two movies, and honestly... Or actually, or maybe it's after the second movie. I, I need to reread the game again. Or maybe it's kind of during the second movie. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember now. I need to reread the game. Because in the game he has already gone and taken over the internet effectively, or, or he's working on taking over the internet. Um, but 
yeah, it's funny because it's, you, you know, the lawnmower man game, you, you know, it's all built around the idea of the internet. But if your characters go in the internet, they're pretty much going to die if they go into cyberspace. You either, there, there's no way your, your starting characters are going to survive in, in cyberspace. But when you think of the lawnmower man, you want to go into cyberspace, right? So yeah, we should definitely play that. Uh, hopefully we'll get a group together. I've got you and Joe or willing guinea pigs to check out lawnmower man. I look forward to that. You know, I'm not very spoiler prone, but if anybody out there has only read the Stephen King short story of the lawnmower man, then they're probably very confused by that segment. And if anybody out there has only seen the movies, the lawnmower man, then they should definitely read the Stephen King short story because other than the name, they are totally different. Uh, as far as the simpler system being more versatile, uh, yes and no. Um, you're not wrong. I, I think there's a lot to that, having that bare-bones mechanic, that really simple skeleton, and be able to bolt things onto it. I, the other way to go, I guess, if somebody's not really f comfortable making up their own mechanics, is to go with one of these universal systems like GURPS or HERO or BRP, you know, where there's so many different things out there, you could just take, you know, from, from this great um, smorgasbord of supplements and things to build what you want. But if you don't want to have to buy a whole lot of products, and, and mind you, you don't have to buy a lot of products for GURPS, really. You can buy the base game. You can buy light GURPS and you can build on it yourself. But all that stuff is pre-built for you in GURPS if you really want to do the research and put the effort into it. But I, you know, I've talked myself into it. I agree with you. With a simple system, <laughs> you save yourself all that hassle of sorting through all that material and just make it work. So, yeah, you could take ICRPG. I actually, for the most part, kind of like second edition a little better than some of the changes in master edition because I like tags and I like some of the other stuff. But but you can take your version of ICRPG and because and, it's a toolkit anyway. Um so I would, if, if you're going to get ICRPG, I like to have second edition and master edition. There's great stuff in both, but you can take that and easily use it as a toolkit to build any, anything out there. Um, same with Savage Worlds, really. You can take the base Savage Worlds book and build anything out there. It's a little more heroic, but Savage Worlds is another great generic system. And honestly, you know, you could take Marvel superheroes and turn TSR's Marvel superheroes, the base game, and turn that the old yellow box basic set and turn that into a universal system. You might have to adjust the scale a little bit on the universal chart where, you know, like amazing is the top of human ability. So you have a bigger scale if you're playing a, a game with just all regular humans, but you could easily use that game as a universal system, but you could also take something like palladium and now we're getting more complex, take palladium and, since their, their games, other than Recon, are pretty much compatible, there's some power level issues. But you could take Palladium and, and use that as a universal system because just about everything you can think of has been done in one form or another. So, But yeah, if you don't want to have to sort through a bunch of books and have a bunch of supplements, if you just want to be creative, a simple game is definitely the way to go. I, I agree with that. Okay, well, that's a lot of me wittering on, so <laughs> let's get to the next caller. Hey, Jason, I guess I thought I sent some messages to you, but maybe I sent them to another Jason or another Joe or 
someone else with a J name that I get confused, you know, age and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I agree with what people were talking about are concerned about the clunkiness of the G.I. Joe transformer system. And that's because right, you would expect um, that there would be a character sheet and the character sheet would have a button to do all that stuff that you need to for only for specialties. And when we weren't able to use Roll20, and then some people just stuck to dice anyway, uh, when the roll was made altogether, that seemed to be more satisfying. And actually, Amy said that. So that, to her, that was the fun part of it, was rolling all those dice, because you really get to never roll all your dice. And then, of course, you get to flip a coin, too, which is funny in and of itself. So, yeah, I think it's a cool mechanic li and for live play. And maybe if they get a good a good VTT to mimic that, that would be cool. Similarly, I think it'd be really fun at the table. I was just thinking about rolling multiple dice, right? 3D6 in the truth. And the marble system uses 3D6, right? So, and then you one of the dice is different color or whatever, or I guess on the roll 20, you'd have an, an M for the one. But when you roll that, then you get a critical success. And that'd be that's really fun at the table. I can imagine that like three sets of, you know, three dice, three dice and adding your thing. Um, not, I don't know. Uh, it might lose its charm if you do it on the roll 20, unless you use like the special button on the character sheet that gives you the M, right? Just like when you see Free League and, you know, the, the, uh, the target comes up with Free League and you're like, yeah, I got a six. Or in the Aliens game, when the, the face hooker comes up actually it was more fun in per it was fun in per hell but hella fun in person it's so funny in person when the face hooker comes up and it reindicates that you go into a panic so yeah there's definitely that tactile feeling that visual stimuli of seeing the dice and feeling and hearing the dice roll at the table is kind of a cool thing all right bye i'm glad that carl's coming around that real dice are superior to vtt dice like I say, there, there are times VTTs and die rollers and VTTs work well. Things like Pathfinder with critical hits where, you know, you just push a button and it spits out the result. But Pathfinder's a, a cold, calculated, heartless system anyway. So that's understandable. Where, you, you know, vibrant, exciting systems like percentile-based systems, it's much better to roll the dice in person. Okay, let's see what else Carl will say. Oh, I definitely think that D&D is post-apocalyptic and you can even look, I don't know about Greyhawk, maybe there was a cataclysm, but for sure the known world, so the basic expert, etc. D&D verse, uh, it is post-apocalyptic. There is Blackmore, then there was the great fire in the sky that is, you know, throughout all of the known world's literature. I know you don't necessarily play, but that, you know, in, in a, uh, a set world, but it was there. There was a cataclysm. There is ruins all underneath everything. And even some of the terrain, like look at the broken lands, all of that is the result of some sort of cataclysm. And it was really fun to throw those Blackmore artifacts in for me and dungeons of previous civilizations. So well, what about Forgotten Realms? Yes, there have been multiple cataclysms in the Forgotten Realms. There is all these ancient empires and there is massive cataclysms and massive upheavals. And every time they switch editions, there's some sort of upheaval, whether it's the avatar thing or the spell plague or whatever. So yes, there's 
it's post-apocalyptic. There's some sort of cataclysm, and they switch editions. Ha ha. And then what about Galerion? Yes, Galerion had a giant meteor hit the Earth, and all sorts of things happened. It destroyed the previous civilization, and now there are ruins all over Galerion from that past civilization. The dwarves even have some sort of legend where they were told by their gods to climb to the sky because they had escaped under the earth to escape the cataclysm that I think, I think it was actually the Dro that pulled the meteor onto the earth. And actually there's an adventure path where they try to do it again and you got to stop them. So yes, it is, I would say D and D is a post and, and D and D adjacent. So even Joe Richter's Pathfinder is post apocalyptic. The, the civilizations are stuck in that sort of pseudo medieval Renaissance technology because of the cataclysm. All right. Oh, Numenera, right? Was Numenera D&D? Well, they did a 5e version of Numenera, and uh, yeah, it's all post-apocalyptic. Ah, but didn't they remove the drow from Pathfinder? So will it remain post-apocalyptic? Will they retcon that history? Inquiring minds want to know. Yo, Jason, finish listening to your latest mailbag episode. Awesome stuff, man. Uh, Spaz Baby was talking about, I think it was him, are all games post-apocalyptic? And I love that, man. But it got me thinking, you know, humanity. We're a post-apocalyptic culture. Humanity in general is a post-apocalyptic culture. We've been through, in our past, as human beings on this planet, that stretch back tens of thousands of thousands of thousands of years have been through more than one cataclysmic disaster that nearly brought humanity down but we battled back we came through we're still here so yeah everything's post-apocalyptic because we're in a post-apocalyptic society peace out you know joe it's interesting you you're right real life humanity is a post-apocalyptic culture and through a number of apocalypses, right? Another number of cataclysms, but how does it affect the game world and the societies if they realize they're post-apocalyptic compared to if they're, they don't know they're post-apocalyptic. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing to explore. So when we look at metamorphosis alpha, those characters at least when they start, don't realize they're in a post-apocalyptic world. I mean, it, is it? Yeah, because the world ship kind of has an apocalypse and it's gone haywire and they don't realize they're on a ship. But it's the same thing. You know, it, it's interesting. to if Are you playing in a world where they slowly find out that it's in a post-apocalyptic world and they find out there were lost civilizations? Or do you start in the world where they already know there were lost civilizations? And, and I think that's quite a different feel to the game, whether they realize they're post-apocalyptic and, and they're actively trying to explore or actively trying to avoid those previous civilizations, or if they don't realize it, they think that, you know, they're the only one out there, that they're the only civilization that's ever been around, and then they're exposed to those ancient lost civilizations throughout the game i think they make for two very different feels and i, I mean obviously by definition both are post-apocalyptic i'm not arguing that but i think they're very different games 
if you start the game knowing it's post-apocalyptic or if you find out it's post-apocalyptic or po you know post-cataclysm during the game. I, I think that can make for two very different feeling games. Um, I don't know. J just some thoughts. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you to all my callers. Thank you to everybody that's tuning in and listening. Again, all the information, how to reach out and participate in the show notes. Feel free to. I love to get calls. I love the interaction between myself and the listeners and the listeners between each other as well. So other than that, I just want to thank Ray Otis, who does the coffee cup clip art. Although today I have a picture of Pagan Publishing's cover for Killer Crosshairs. I want to thank TJ Drennan, who does all the wonderful music for the show. Colin Green over at Spike Pit for that little message you just heard. I really appreciate everyone's support. And we have a busy time coming up here. We have System Sunday. Then on Monday, we're going to have that movie Monday. We're going to have all the replies to Hawk the Slayer. Tuesday, we'll wrap up RPG Day with my week five, the last episode in that. And then we're into September. September, I've got a great episode coming up. I recorded with Minion over Confessions, We Timmer Spushy. We're going to talk about Roger Corman's seminal biker film, The Wild Angels from 1966. In September, we're going to have the discussion on Revenge of the Ninja. We're going to have all kinds of fun stuff going on in September. So lots of great things coming up there. So everybody, take care of yourselves. And until I talk to you next time, be excellent to each other. Joking about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I better shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustbin in your moil's body zipper And I'm assuming that's your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are rising and the world's gone to hell